Hey, it's really good to be with you today. Come on, God has something in store for you today. Come on, look at someone that you're next to. Tell them that you're glad they are here with you. Want to join? welcome those of you who are joining us online as well, regardless of what platform you're on, what day you're worshiping with us. So grateful that you have made time in your life to worship Jesus and to grow together in God's word together today. And isn't it exciting to see uh, people give their life to Jesus and be water baptized? Isn't that amazing? Come on, we could just go home. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. Come on, aren't you grateful for our worship team and the way they lead us and praise the worship? And I, you know, I, I'm thankful that we sing the new songs, but we also sing some of those old songs. I, is the song old if it was written in the 70s or 80s? I, I don't know. I've, I've realized that it is because the songs I listened to when I was in high school, I now have to turn to the classic rock station to hear them, you know, the oldies channel. So listen, that's the struggle is real. But hey, a couple of, of uh, quick family items before we dig into God's word this morning. John chapter 12 is where we'll be. And uh, Daniel chapter nine and Nehemiah chapter one. But before we dig into God's word, just a couple of things. And one is that there's a transition that's happening in our Rev City staff. And about six months ago, Chet and Elizabeth Kiefer, Chet serves as our worship and technical director. He was right here. Elizabeth is one of our worship leaders. She was right here this morning. They, they came to us and they said, you know, Pastor T and Pastor Eddie, we're just sensing that the Lord is stirring us for some kind of a transition. We're submitting it. We're trusting you guys to help us shape it and to speak into it. There's nothing wrong relationally. We love this church. We love where we're going. We just sense that God is calling us to some kind of a step of faith in the coming months. And that was actually about six months ago. And so we've just been praying with them and counseling them and hearing from them and, and just helping them shape what it looks like. And they have, we, we, one of the things that we encourage them is we said, it's impossible to please God without faith. And here's the thing is, I, was, I would love to talk them out of it. If you can talk them out of leaving, I welcome you to do it and, I'll, and steak dinner is on me because I don't want them to go. But here's what I understand is that this is an opportunity for us to be the church we say we wanna be, which is to be a church that builds the kingdom. We don't own people. We steward people's gifting. Part of my responsibility and part of our responsibility as a church is helping you discover everything that God has called you to do and be and become and accomplish with your life for the glory of Jesus Christ, even when it means that it might not directly benefit this church ministry. And so that's what we, we did. I mean, I, I mean, I love Chet and Elizabeth like a brother and a sister, but we just said, well, let's just help you just shape it. And one of the things we encouraged them with is, again, after for six months, we had said, is, are, let's confirm this. Is God, do you really believe that God is speaking this to you? Because we love you. We would love for you to stay here. And they said, we really believe that the Lord is calling us to a step of faith. And we said, well, it's impossible to please God without faith, so let's begin to shape what that looks like. And here's what it's gonna result in is that they will be transitioning off of our team and moving geographically at the end of April, the first part of May. And so just wanna share that with you. And, and here's the main reason to share it with you is so that you can be prayerfully supporting them, that they would connect to exactly the place, exactly the people, exactly the purpose that God is stirring them in faith to step into in this season. And they don't know everything about where they're gonna be or what they're gonna do. They have an idea that they might end up in Colorado Springs, so I can't wait to go visit them. Someone say amen. amen. All right, so thank you for praying for them. And there'll be a Sunday coming up later in April or early in May where we'll pray over them and prophesy over them and send them into that, give you an opportunity to connect with them and just appreciate the way that they've served and led 
um, in the Rev City Church family. A second thing I want to encourage you with before we dig into God's word is I want to encourage you, would you invite someone to experience Jesus next Sunday on Easter Sunday morning? Whether in this room or joining you online, maybe you would invite someone to come over to your house have brunch and then go to church with you or maybe go to church with you and then have lunch, whatever order it's in, just trust the Lord to use a personal invitation. I believe that people's hearts are open to say yes to come to church. And here's, here's the thing why that's important. When they come to church next Easter Sunday, they are going to hear about Jesus and the gospel of Jesus Christ, how much God loves them, that he sent his son to die on that cross and raise again, that they might have a new life and a fresh start. But if you could just get them here, listen, people, I believe people are, are, are more likely to say yes to that invitation this coming Sunday than they might be any other time of the year. And I believe with some of the things that we walked through and are coming out of in 2020 and some of the struggles and some of the things, uncertainty and unforeseen things, I think that maybe there might be some people who, whose hearts are a little bit more open than maybe they ever have been or maybe th than they have been in a long time to receive the gospel of Jesus Christ and give their lives to Jesus. So, so come on, would you just in, uh, be willing to partner with us in the seat back in front of you? There are some invitation cards. I think Beth might show it to you at the end of the service, but there's some things the children's ministry has done to help you work with your kids to maybe invite their friends who will inevitably bring their parents to hear about Jesus next week. And, and would you just uh, allow me to pray over all of this week, those interactions, those invitations, and begin to pray over our services next Easter Sunday morning, Resurrection Sunday. Father, in Jesus' name, what a privilege it is to partner with you to build your kingdom and to share the gospel with the people in our lives, coworkers, family members, friends, neighbors, Lord. We thank you, Lord. This week, would you create divine opportunities for us to have interactions and extend invitations, for people to come to church and to worship God on a Sunday where maybe more people than, than, than most weeks are interested or even pursuing, maybe wondering, but maybe just don't really know where they wanna go to church. I pray that you would use us, Lord, to bring someone along to hear about Jesus. And we already begin to lift up the atmosphere of those services in this room and those who are joining us all over the world online, Lord. We begin to pray that you would soften hearts to receive the gospel and to respond in a way that changes lives, restores marriages, strengthens families, and establishes people in a forward motion towards the purposes of God that you have for their life. In Jesus' name, and all of God's people said, amen, amen, amen. amen. Okay, so if John chapter 12, really excited about the word that I have in my heart to share with you today. Today is Palm Sunday. Come on, look at someone next to you or someone that you're with and just tell them happy Palm Sunday. Happy Palm Sunday. This is the Sunday that Jesus made his triumphant entry into the city of Jerusalem. And all four gospels create an account of this day. And listen, I wanna take you on a journey starting in the New Testament in John chapter 12, where we read about Jesus coming into Jerusalem with the people of the city gathered together during the busyness of the Passover celebration. There were great crowds who had descended upon the city and they gathered in the streets, waving palm branches and casting their garments before Jesus saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The rest of the story is this. Jesus knew that those same people would only a few days later say, give us Barabbas, crucify Jesus. And that was part of the plan all along. I wanna start in John, then we're gonna go back to Daniel chapter nine. We're gonna visit a prophecy that I believe with perfection 
predicts the day of Jesus's arrival into the city of Jerusalem upon that humble donkey. And we'll look at why that's important because God has a plan. He's writing a plan. He's writing a story in your life. And I'm telling you what he's begun in your life, he's able to finish it, God's word says. He's able to get you to some things. You might be in a season of uncertainty. You might be in a season of doubt or delay. But I'm telling you today, if you'll lean in and receive what God wants to reveal to your heart today, I believe that your faith will be strengthened. That the God who wrote this story with perfection and intentionality is writing a story in your life. And he's able to see you through the challenges, the disappointments, the doubt and the delay to the place of resurrection, victory, and life. Someone ought to say amen. Amen. All right, let's dig in. John chapter 12. Lots of Bible today, but I say it all the time. That's a good thing to do in church, amen? To read the Bible, John chapter 12, verse 1 through 15. Here it goes. Six days before the Passover, take note of that, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. How many of you remember that story? And it says, verse 2, here a dinner was given in Jesus's honor. I guess if someone raises you from the dead, you have them over for dinner. <laughs> I mean, what else would you do? You know, it's like, let's, let's bake a lasagna and have Jesus over, you know. He raised Lazarus from the dead. And reading on, it says, Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. And he, sure, he's reclining at the table. He's just getting over being dead. <laughs> And it says, verse 3, then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. And just picture this in your mind's eye, the scene and the smell and everything that's going on. It says that she poured it out on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? For it was about a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Just a side note right there. If you'll remember, fast forward that Jesus was crucified on Passover day and the day of Passover that happened to fall on a Friday. And Friday was the day of preparation for the Sabbath on which the people of God were commanded to rest. And it began on Friday at sundown. And if you remember the accounting of Jesus's crucifixion, it says that they had to, in a hurry, take Jesus's body down off the cross so that they could get it to the grave and, and still honor the initiation of the Sabbath at sundown on Friday. So here's why this is powerfully significant. It's that they didn't have the time because of the hustle and the rush to get Jesus buried before the Sabbath would arrive to do the things they would normally do, anoint his body with perfume, fragrance, and herbs. But God saw fit to have it done right here in this chapter. It's what we're reading about. She was anointing his body for burial. And it says, meanwhile, verse 9, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came not only because of him, speaking of Jesus, but also because of Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. I guess it would cause a stir if someone was raised from the dead in your city. And it says, so the chief priests, catch this, maybe you've never caught this before, made plans to kill Lazarus as well. 
For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. Listen, there's a couple of things to extract from that scripture right there. There's still a spirit in the world today that's looking to oppose and even defeat your life as you live and testify of what God has done in you, the resurrection power of Christ living in you. There's still a spirit that's trying to, to mute or to silence anyone who will stand and point people to Jesus saying, I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was dead, but now I live. And let me tell you, not in my own strength, but because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There was a religious spirit that said, we've got to silence Lazarus. For on account of him, many were believing in Jesus. And one more question. I just wonder, man, I want my life. I want my life to be like Lazarus where many people are coming to believe in Jesus because of me, because of the way I live, because of who I serve, because of what I do, because of the way I love my wife and because of the way I serve my church and the way I serve my children and the way I bring a different attitude and perspective to the business meetings or, or to the interactions with people in the community. Would people look at your life and say, because of her, I mean, because of her, many people are hearing and knowing and seeing that Jesus is who he says he is, the way, the truth, and the light. Verse 12, it says, the next day, and here's we get in, where we get into the story that shifts us into the scene of Palm Sunday. It says, the next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival, for speaking of the festival of Passover, which was the celebration that was held annually to commemorate the time where the Passover lamb, the blood of the Passover lamb was put on the doorpost of the houses and the homes of the people of Israel on the night that the death angel came and created the way for the people of God to be released from their captivity and their bondage and begin to pursue in freedom the promises of God. The Bible says that Jesus is our Passover lamb. And so it says, at that time, people who that had come to Jerusalem, ready to, to, to celebrate this festival, heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and they went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is, the, is, the, is he, rather, who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Reading on verse 14, it says, Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it as it is written, do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. Other accounts in the Gospels show us even a little bit more about that detail right there. That Jesus said, go and you'll find a donkey tied and a colt next to it. And he said, go and get the donkey and bring it to me. Bring the colt to me. If anyone interferes, just tell them that the Lord has need of it. And I just think it's a powerful part of this story that the Lord still, he's the God of all creations. He holds the earth in the palm of his hands. The whole earth is his and all that belongs in it, but he's still looking to partner with people. He's still looking. He has a need for you, for your voice, for your testimony, for your gifting, for your calling, for your purpose. He has a need of you. He's still looking to partner with people, with ordinary things in a way that brings glory to him. And this donkey was one of the most ordinary of all ordinary things, a humble donkey. And not just a donkey, but the, coal, the colt or the foal of a donkey. And listen, in Revelation 19, there's another time where Jesus is going to appear. You can read about it for yourself if you haven't already. And in that scene, Jesus is coming to rule and reign, and he's going to show up on a great white steed, a stallion, flying in across through heaven on a great white horse. But in this scene, he's riding on a humble donkey. There's a scene coming where he, he's, he'll come across heaven on a great white horse. I heard one preacher one time say, hey, if the president of the United States has Air Force One in that chapter, is that, should we refer to that as Air Horse One? And I, I don't know. I don't know. We'll have to see about that, I guess. 
But there's a scene coming where he'll ride on a great mighty horse, a war horse. But in this scene, listen to me, by design, by design, he rode in on the lowest, the most humble, not even a donkey, but the colt or the foal of a donkey. And is it possible that as he was riding into Jerusalem, I mean, can you just picture it? I mean, he's on a little, he's on a low rider, you know? I mean, he's on this little donkey, all that the donkey can really sustain. And the donkey just tromping into Jerusalem. And is it possible that, that the robes, the, t- the hem of his garment, of the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the creator of all the universe is dragging through the dust of the ground, the very dust that he once formed as the creator of all the world. The very dust that he wants breathed life into to create mankind, you and me. It's by design. It's by design. There's a time coming where he'll ride in on a great white horse. But in this moment, as he was on his way to the cross, by design, because the Bible says in the other gospels, it says this happened to fulfill the prophetic words that God had spoke, God had written, God had ordained. By design, he came in in the lowest of lows. I believe it's because he understood that he was coming to meet us where we were at. He understood that he was coming to shift people out of religion, which is rules and regulations, and us doing our best to make ourselves feel good about ourselves or look right in the sight of man or in the eyes of God. And he was coming, he was saying, I'm riding low on a donkey because I'm coming to get into the reality of life. I'm coming to get into those dark moments. I'm coming to get into those dirty moments, those hopeless moments. I'm coming to get into those moments where there there is doubt, where there is depression, where there's uncertainty about your future. That's right where I'm gonna meet you, but I love you too much to leave you there. When I encounter you in that place, I'm gonna show you my love. I'm gonna show you who you really are, who the enemy's been lying to you about. And I'm gonna rescue you from that place of, of lie and deception and I'm gonna show you who you really are and allow you to stand in the victory of Jesus, not because of anything you could do or deserve in your own strength, but because of what I'm about to accomplish at the cross and through my risen life that you might believe and have life eternal, life forevermore and never die. Come on, that's the message of the gospel and that's good news today. It was by design. There's nothing that you're going through today that's beneath him. I'm just telling you, you need to hear that from a preacher today. There's nothing that you're going through today that's beneath him. He came on a humble donkey. He'll ride in on that great white steed someday to rule and reign forever and us with him. But in the moment that he was headed to the cross, in the moment where he was rescuing and restoring and redeeming us, by design, he came in on that lowly donkey. Religion is man's unsuccessful, forever frustrated Attempt to try to get to God, to mask our problems and make ourselves appear like we're close with God. The story of Palm Sunday and the story of Resurrection Sunday that we call Easter is God's forever successful and fruitful, not just attempt, but plan to get to man and bring us back to him in the midst of our fallen condition. Restore us to a relationship that transcends religion to a relationship that isn't dependent on us, but by all accounts is offered to us in spite of us. The Bible says while we were still lost, while we were still sinners, we didn't have to get ourselves clean and right before God was interested in us. He saw right where we were, and he sent Jesus to rescue us. And as he rode into Jerusalem, he knew that the praise and the applause of men would be sure-lived And he knew that that wasn't why he was there. 
He knew that he was riding into Jerusalem because a few days later, that same group of people shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, praise to God. Blessed be the one who comes in the name of the Lord that the same group of people just a few short days later would stand before Pontius Pilate and say, give us Barabbas. Crucify Jesus. It's part of the story. And the people waved their palm branches. The people threw down their garments, expecting him to come and overtake the Roman Empire, reestablish the rule and reign of the Jewish people. And Jesus said, I've got something bigger in mind. I've got something more lasting in mind. Kingdoms rise and kingdoms fall, but what I'm about to establish will stand forever. They had no idea what they were in for. They had no idea what God had in store. They sang, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And listen, did you, did you know they're quoting a song that was written and, 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 and delivered to us through Psalm 118. And this is where we turn back into the Old Testament and begin to unpack some things that kind of show us what God was up to all throughout the story of the Bible to lead us to this moment of Jesus' triumphant entry and his preparation to go to the cross. So look at Psalm 118. And remember what they were singing and saying and shouting as they were waving their palm branches and casting their garments. And in Psalm 118, we find the very, the very same thing. It says, the Lord has done it this very day. Someone say this day. In fact, say this very day. And I want you to take note of that. And it says, let us rejoice today, say today, and be glad. Lord, save us. That's the same word as Hosanna. Hosanna was not just a common appreciation of praise. Hosanna was a word that when literally translated meant, Lord, save. Come, save. Deliver. Rescue. That's what they were saying when they were singing and shouting, Hosanna. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Reading on verse 26, it says, Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So I want you to mark that it says, Lord, this day. And then I want you to turn back to Daniel chapter 9. And I want to show you a prophecy that occurred 600 years earlier that points to this day. Not a day, not some day, not May Day, not any day, just this day, this particular specific day in time. Listen, this is powerful. When you see what I'm about to unwrap for you and show you in God's word, there's going to be some faith that I believe will begin to stir in your heart. That what God has spoken over your life, what God has, has his thoughts, his plans towards you, that right now might seem like it's so far off. Can I really ever get there, Pastor T? Can I really ever accomplish or fulfill what God has in his heart for me? I'm telling you today that there's going to be some fresh faith. That the Lord who started something in you has the ability to see you through some things and to some things. Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9 is a prophetic passage. And the Bible is over 27% prophecy. There's 31,124 Bible verses in your Bible. Of those 31,000 verses, 8,352 are verses that contain prophecy. In other words, God's heart, God's word, God's will, and God's way for the future. And so this is important to understand that God wants to speak and reveal and show us what his heart is and what he's doing in our lives and in our midst. Daniel chapter 29, a prophetic passage that I believe perfectly predicted. Remember, that very day, that this passage perfectly predicts that very day. All right, let's dig into it. Verse 25. No one understand this, 
from the time that the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler, comes, there will be seven sevens and 62 sevens. And he's talking about seven sets of seven years and 62 groups of seven years. It's worth reading again. From the time that the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler, comes, the Messiah shows up on the scene, there will be seven groups of seven years and 62 groups of seven years. And, and one more verse from Daniel 9, verse 26, just so you can have the context of what he's speaking to and pointing to prophetically. He says, after, verse 26, after the 62 sevens, the anointed one, speaking of the Christ, will be put to death and will have nothing. He's speaking of the moment that's about to happen on Passover as Jesus is hung from the cross and he cries out and says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As he hangs on that cross bearing the weight of my sin, your sin, our sin. So in other words, backing up to verse 25, he says there'll be a period of 49 years, seven groups of seven, and 434 years, 62 groups of seven. From what? From the time that the word of the Lord goes out to rebuild and restore Jerusalem. So if we can find in the Bible where there's a word that goes out to rebuild and restore Jerusalem, we can do some math and determine the prophetic nature of God saying in that moment the Messiah is going to show up on the scene. And we find this account in the book of Nehemiah. So turn or click the book of Nehemiah chapter one. As you're turning or clicking there, just kind of set the scene for you a little bit. Nehemiah is a godly man, an Israelite who is serving in a high capacity, an honorable position in, in the, 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 the house of a, non, of a foreign king, Artaxerxes. And he served so faithfully that he's been promoted to basically become the right-hand person of the king. He was the cupbearer of the king, which meant he was privy to all the king's conversations. He knew when the king was having a good day, he knew when the king was having a bad day. But one of the other responsibilities that he had is as the cupbearer, he was responsible for tasting the wine that was presented to the king in advance to ensure that it had not been poisoned. So there were some good things, there were some pros of the job and there were some cons of the job. <laughs> and in Nehemiah, he's, in, in verse one through three, there have been men from Judah that are traveling through. Nehemiah catches wind of it and he goes and he says, tell me, how are the people of God and how is the city of Jerusalem? And they respond and they, say, they tell him about the decay and the demise of Jerusalem and the people of God, that, that the city lies in ruins, that the gates and the walls have been burned and have tumbled and that the people are being scattered. And that's where we pick up the story in verse four. And Nehemiah says, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. And by the way, I believe that this is in some ways a prophetic picture of the culture of our nation today. Our walls and our gates broken down. People of faith being scattered. And, and is it possible that maybe God's calling us to have a similar heart, a Nehemiah response as we look around and see people and we see the way that our culture is turning from God and we see the way that it's causing families and marriages and it's causing people to be scattered from their faith. Maybe God's calling us to have a similar response and let's read about that response. 
It says, for some days I mourned and fasted and I prayed before the God of heaven. And then I said, Lord, God of heaven, great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted wickedly towards you, and we have not obeyed your commands, your decrees, or the laws that you gave to us through your servant Moses. And Nehemiah goes on, and he says, remember the instruction you gave to Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But here's the good news. If you return to me, if you return to me, we need a returning to God in our land. We need an awakening and a returning to God in Lawrence, Kansas. And it says, if you return to me and obey my commands, then even the exiled people, even those who are at the farthest place, far off from God, the furthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them into the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. Reading on verse 10, it says, they are the, your servants and your people whom you redeem by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of, your, of this your servant and to the prayer of your other servants who delight in revering your name and give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man for I was cupbearer to the king. Turn the page, Nehemiah chapter two and remember, Daniel chapter nine, remember, talked about when the day of the word of the Lord goes forth to rebuild and restore Jerusalem, from that day, there will be this 483-year window of time until the coming of the Messiah. And so we're searching, we're mining God's word for that day. Pick it up in chapter two, verse one, and here's where we get the date. In the month of Nisan, which is the first month of the Jewish calendar, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine had been brought for him, I took the wine, I gave it to the king. And I had not been sad in his presence before. So the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. Listen, I just think there's something right, right here, just a little side note that's worth drawing out. Isn't it amazing that Nehemiah had gone to work who knows how many days and weeks and years consecutively, and the Lord had never seen him depressed or discouraged. It doesn't mean that he wasn't depressed or discouraged, but I'm just telling you, there's something too showing up at your job, your workplace, or whatever God's called you to with an enthusiastic, positive attitude. It was part of why Nehemiah had been elevated and promoted to the position that he had. And he says, why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. And it says, I was very much afraid, but I said to the king. So Nehemiah was afraid, but he took action. And I just wonder if there's not a faith that God wants to stir in us to maybe overcome the fear of man in a new way or a fresh way that we might be able to begin to step out in a new or fresh way, to share Jesus, to tell people about the gospel, to invite people to church, to begin making a difference. Nehemiah was afraid of what would happen. What would they say? What would they think? And yet he still stood and said what God had put in his heart. And he said, may the king live forever. Reading on verse three, why should my face not look sad where the, when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? And the king said to me, what is it that you want? 
Then I prayed to the God of heaven, and I answered the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in your sight, let him send me to the city of Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Somebody say rebuild it. Then the king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked me, how long will your journey take and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. I also said to him, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of Trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct or safe passageway, rather, until I arrive in Judah? And may I also have a letter to Asap, who's the keeper of the royal park. Other translations capture that it was the royal forest, the place from which they harvested timber to build buildings. And so he said, can I get a letter to Asap so that he will give me the timber for the beams that I need for the gates of the citadel by the temple, for the city wall and for the residence I will occupy. And catch this, because of the gracious hand of my God that was upon me, the king granted my request. So he, Nehemiah, went to the governors of Trans-Euphrates and gave them the king's letter. The king also sent army officers and cavalry with him and the order to rebuild and, and reconstruct Jerusalem had gone forth. And here's where we have our timeline. For the prophecy in Daniel that predicts the arrival of the Messiah. And so it, it says in the month, so what date are we talking about? What date are we talking about? And remember in, in verse one of chapter two that we just read, it says in the month of Nisan in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes. And so here's what we understand is that in the Bible, when there wasn't a specific day that was provided, it was assumed that they were speaking of the first day of the month. So we're talking here about the first day of the first month of the Jewish calendar, a month called Nisan. And we're talking about the 20th year of the rule and reign of a king, Artaxerxes, whom we know by historical record began his rule and reign in 465 B.C. And so here's what we know is that the first of Nisan during the 20th year of Artaxerxes' rule would have occurred in the year 444 B.C., and because we know how the Jewish calendar aligns with our calendar, we know the exact day. Nisan 1, 444 B.C. correlates with March 5th, 444 B.C. in our calendar. So here, stay with me. Hang with me. I promise you I'm taking you somewhere. Look at someone next to you and say, he's taking you somewhere. Go back to Daniel chapter 9. From the issuing of this decree that we just read about to rebuild and restore the city of Jerusalem, there'll be seven sevens or 49 years and 62 sevens, 434 years, which if you add those two numbers up, you get 483 years. Listen, I know you didn't come to church for a math class, <laughs> but there's something powerful that you're about to see in this. 483 years from that date, Nisan 1, 444 BC, which in our calendar is March 5th, 444 BC. But here's what you have to understand is that the Jewish calendar is a little bit different than ours and it only has 360 days in it. So here's what you have to do to find the date that the Jewish calendar would have been speaking about in Daniel chapter nine. You, you multiply 360 days or the number of days in the Jewish calendar year times 483 years, the seven groups of seven and the 62 groups of seven, and you get 173,880 days. So catch this, when you add 173,880 days to Nisan 1, 444 BC, you get this, March 30th, 33 AD. 
which I'm about to propose to you is Palm Sunday. Because remember the, the, the scripture that we read that said that, 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 that the Lord would come, the, 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 so, the chosen one would come, the Messiah would come. And remember what we read, that after that, he would be put to death and he would have nothing. It wasn't speaking, the prophecy wasn't speaking about the crucifixion of Jesus, it was speaking about the triumphal entry of Jesus into the city of Jerusalem. That on that day, shortly after that, he would be crucified, put to death, hung on the cross for you and for me to pay the price for our sins. The Bible pointed in the book of Daniel chapter nine, 173,800 days into the future and told us the day of Palm Sunday. And listen, you might say, how do we know that it's Palm Sunday? Well, you remember all four accounts of the gospels share that Jesus was crucified on Passover. Now here's what you have to know on the Jewish calendar, Passover happens on a set date. It happens on Nisan 15. The, first, the 15th day of the first month of the Jewish calendar. But because the, our calendar is different, 365 days, Passover happens for us on a different date throughout the year. It rotates around a different date and a different day. So here's, it's the same date on the calendar for the Jewish calendar, but for us, it could happen in March, it could happen in April, it could happen on Monday, it could happen on Wednesday. And here's what we know according to all four accounts of the gospel. Jesus was crucified on Passover, and not just any Passover, but a Passover that happened to fall on a Friday. And you'll say, how do you know, Pastor T? Because all throughout, all four accounts of the, of the gospels of Jesus' crucifixion talk about it was happening on the day of preparation for the Sabbath. And the Sabbath began on Friday evening at sundown. Jesus was crucified on a Passover that fell on a Friday, the day of preparation before the Sabbath. Here's what's powerful about this. We know these dates. We know the dates that, ha that occurred on the 15th of Nisan, the first month of the Jewish calendar and how it correlates to our calendar. And within a 12-year window, there was only one occasion in the likely time of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection where it happened on a Friday, and I'll give you one guess, 33 AD. The 15th of Nisan fell on a Friday, which tells us, this is powerful, and listen, this is not something, I mean, it, 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 it's, it's, not, it's, it's not something that you build your faith on. We build our faith on Jesus and what he's done. But if you look at those dates, we can actually look at the calendars and the way they overlay and most theologians believe that Jesus was crucified on the Passover that fell on a Friday before the Sabbath day that happened on a Saturday on April 3rd, 33 AD. Listen, why, why is this important to us? Because if God 600 years before could write in the book of Daniel with precision and perfection, speaking of 173,800 days later, the triumphant arrival of Jesus in humble means to the city of Jerusalem to present his, himself as our Passover lamb, to be crucified on Passover and raised again to newness of life on the third day, if God could with precision and perfection Tell us about that 600 years ago and it all line up and all come to pass. The question I have for you is this, can you trust him with your life? Can you trust him with your future? Can you trust him with your marriage? 
can you trust him with your uncertain times, your unforeseen circumstances? Would you stand to your feet? Let's prepare to, our hearts to respond to him. And as we prepare to respond, I'll take you back to Psalm 118. Psalm 118, which said this, the Lord has done it this very day. Say it again, this very day. Let us rejoice today and be glad. Lord, save us. Hosanna, that's the word that they were singing. Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Listen, it was not just another day. And Palm Sunday is not just another day. It was the day that God knew from the foundations of time. The Bible says that from the foundations of time, God's plan, God's heart for you, for me, not just for the person to your left, not just for the person to your right, not just for the teachers in the children's ministry, not just for the elders or deacons, or, or not just for people that seem holy, for you. He knew on that day, Jesus would ride in on that donkey with the end goal of going to that cross, paying the price for our sin, making a way that we might have a newness of life. If he could tell it with that kind of certainty, perfection, can't we trust him with our life? And listen, right now, I just want us to respond. And I don't know what area it is in your life where maybe there's uncertainty, fear, doubt. Maybe there's something you don't know how it's gonna go and you can't see the way that you're gonna get through it. I'm telling you, the Bible says this in Philippians 1, verse six. It says, I am certain that God, who began a good work in you, will continue that work, his work, until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. What he's speaking, what he's spoken over your life. Listen, his word says, Jeremiah chapter 29, that he has good plans, good thoughts, a good future for you, your marriage, your family. Can you trust him in a new way, in a fresh way? That he holds your days in his hands. That he holds your life in the palm of his hands. That he's a good and faithful father. That you might be going through some things today, things you didn't expect, things you didn't foresee. But that he's faithful and he's able to see you through those things and see you to the things that he has for you. Listen, whatever that is for you, your marriage, your family, your finances, your career, your health, I just think it would be uh, meaningful if we would just present that thing before God through the lifting of our hands and an act of surrender to say, Lord, that thing, that, that, that uncertain thing, marriage, family, finances, career, whatever it is, I present it to you. And as I'm lifting my hands before you, I'm saying, I trust you. I trust you. I don't know how it's gonna go. I don't know how we're gonna make it through, but I trust you. And I thank you that you'll do what you do. You'll make a way where there seems to be no way. He's got a plan for your life, man of God. He's got a plan for your life, woman of God. He sees where you're at. He sees the dark place. He sees the dirty place. He knows where you're at. And that's right where he's coming to meet you today because he's a humble servant king. He'll come back on a great white steed, but he, he went to the cross on that humble donkey. He's familiar with lowly circumstances. And the message of the cross It's the message that transcends religion. It's the message of a father saying, I'm coming after you because I'm bringing you back. I'm bringing you back. I'm bringing you back to a place of relationship with me as a heavenly father. And listen, the most important thing we do before we worship and dismiss you today is give people the opportunity to say, that's me, I'm far from God. That's me, I, I once knew God or served God. I grew up in church, 
But today I'm what the Bible would refer to as a prodigal son or daughter. I've drifted from him. I've made some bad choices and today I'm far from him. Or maybe you might say, I've never given my life to Jesus. I didn't grow up in church. I've never experienced what it feels like to have the weight of of all my sin and my guilt and my shame and my condemnation lifted off of me. That's the message of the gospel. Something you couldn't do, something you couldn't deserve. Jesus came to do it for you because of his great love for you. Listen, if that's you, prodigal sons and daughters or or people who have never given their life to Jesus right now, I just wanna encourage you to lift your hand towards heaven. Say, that's me, Pastor T, that's me, that's me. I'm coming home. Thank you, Lord, for these precious people. Hands in this room going up. I trust hands online going up. And listen, if you're joining us online, I wanna encourage you to do the same thing. Even if no one sees you, because you're not responding to a person, you're responding to your Father. Lift your hand and just, that this hand going up is an outward expression of what, a, what God is doing inwardly in your heart. And come on, church, you know what's coming if you're a part of this family. We, we pray this prayer every week with people who are responding to Jesus. We do it for a couple reasons. One is just quickly to affirm to them, there's a church family, there are brothers and, and, and sisters, there are people that wanna come alongside you to encourage you in your fresh faith in Jesus. And two, we pray it every week because it reminds us that even as we are growing in our faith, we never graduate from grace. We still need Jesus today as much as we ever have. So come on, church, repeat this with me. Say, Father, in Jesus' name, I recognize my need for a Savior. I thank you for sending Jesus to pay the price I could not pay, to make a way that I might have a new life and a fresh start. I give you that life, and I give you my trust. And because of Jesus, because of the cross of Jesus, Come on, say, I'll never be the same. I'll never be the same. And then come on, rejoice with all of heaven for the precious people who came home to him today. Come on, let's worship the Lord one more time together.